0: I titled the sermon, How to Spot an Antichrist, and uh, you might be surprised by that title when you think, of oh, a letter to 2 John. This isn't Revelation, but it is, uh, it is connected in the sense of uh, this Antichrist theme that shows up in this short little letter, uh, How to Spot an Antichrist. Let's begin in verse 1. Um, 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3, greetings in truth and love. And I think you'll see the theme of truth and love show up as we move through these verses. John says this, he's, he's never one to bring attention to his name. And so, in humility, just like he does in his other books, he says, uh, he, he, he finds a way to introduce himself without his name. Okay, so here he says, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the church, in the truth. And, uh, and all of a sudden, right out of the gate, we're like, okay, what, yeah, that's interesting. Why would he say that, and what does that mean? Who is he writing to? Is this, is this John, and, and is this a letter to a woman that John is writing to that, that he knows, or is there something else happening? Well, as I said in 2011 when we went through the book of 1 John, uh, the elder here is a reference to John. And um, I like to think of him as Papa John, not, not the pizza guy, okay, <laughs> not that. Uh, Jenny's dad is named John, and we call him Papa, okay, and so it's Papa John. And uh, in, at this point in John's life, he is an old man, and he has seen a lot of things. And so it's, it's not um, out of reach for him to refer to himself as the elder, because in that sense, he is, he's older, Uh, But he is also the remaining apostle. Think of that. He is, in a sense, likely one of the only apostles left at this point along the way. And so he writes as the elder to a church, I believe, that would have known him. Why do I say that? Well, look at this. To the elect lady and her children. Once again, the theme of election shows up in early verses of a book. Now, that should not surprise us. Uh, The the doctrine of election is all through your Bible. What's amazing is how often it comes up in the very opening verses of Scripture. We'll see it next week when we jump into 1 Peter. Election is in view. When you go through a lot of Paul's letters, election is in view right out of the gate. He says to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the church, or in the truth. Why do I keep saying that? I, it's, a, it's a church. That's what I... And not only I, but all who know the truth. That there's indicators here that this is not just a lady that he's referring to a, a sister church. This is a sister congregation that he knows and I think has run into some of their members, uh, children, as it were, and is writing to this sister church with some of the feedback that he's gleaned from conversations with some of these people he's run into. So the elect lady, well, those are believers. That's, that's believers in the, in the local church and her children. And uh, the love that we share is a bond that we share among all of God's elect, all of those who are his. And uh, so he writes to her. The reason I believe this is also found in 13, verse 13. Skip down to the very bottom and you'll see this. The children of your elect sister greet you. Now, that's interesting as well. The elect sister, I believe, is John's home church, that he is, in a sense, sending greetings from this church to another sister church. And uh, so many throughout the the halls of history have seen this as a church. Um, Would I burn at the stake for it? Probably not. Uh, I guess in that sense it could be a lady. I just think it would be a little weird for John to be addressing a woman in this way. So individually speaking, as, as the call is, is given you know, with love and all of that, that tended to be in that day quite um, inappropriate. And so I feel like we're dealing here with a church that's being addressed and it, it shows up consistent through other verses as well. He goes on. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, that is, in believers, and will be with us forever. Now, that may be a reference to Christ himself, the way, the truth, and the life. He goes on and says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Now, that's a fascinating thing. This is a a statement of confidence, isn't it? He says, it's not just grace and peace to you, its grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, believers, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. What an introduction from Papa John. He expresses his heart for these believers, he, his love for them, the unity, the bond that they have, not, not just today, but forever because of Christ. He draws The important connection in in the connection with the Father and also the Son. We have this in the Father, but also in the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. And you'll see why that's important in the verses ahead. And then he, he wraps it all up with this, in truth and love. And that really is the theme of 2 John, truth and love, truth and love. If you're wondering how much John wants to emphasize how central it is that truth be in view, let me just show you how many times he mentions it here in the opening of his letter. Look at that. Four mentions of truth in his greeting. You you see an emphasis here? Truth, 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 truth. He's wanting to emphasize this. It's at the very core of our gatherings. It's not just that we love one another, it's that we gather around something when we gather. We gather standing upon the truth of God's Word. It is God's truth. So, truth and love will be the theme, and we're going to see this, this connection kind of build out in the verses ahead. So, verses 4 through 6, I titled, Love the Sheep. Love the Sheep. And this is where John begins to encourage the, the believers there to the emphasis of love. Listen to how he says it. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children, Right again a reference to this church, elect lady, your children or members of your church, believers, are walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Think of this now. Um, he runs into these people who are walking in the truth. What does that mean? It means that they, they love the gospel. They're trusting in Jesus. Their lives have been changed, and they're out and about. And all of a sudden, they bump into John, and they're like, Oh, John, this is the guy who was with Jesus. Think how amazing that would have been all these years after Christ to run into a living apostle who was an eyewitness of the transfiguration of Christ, an eyewitness of the crucifixion of Christ, an eyewitness of the risen Savior, One commissioned directly by Christ to go, walking in the truth, walking in the truth. Now, it's interesting, this phrase, friends, this is a phrase to aim for, for our lives as well, that we would be those who could be said they were walking in the truth. When we interact with other believers, we run run into folks from other churches that love Christ and are committed to Christ that they would rejoice and say, oh, it's so good to see those believers from Good Shepherd walking in the truth. Not just knowing the truth, not just going to church, but living that truth day by day. And now I ask, John says, dear lady, not as though I was writing a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. Okay, And so look at how this connection between truth and love comes into view. He says, it's such a joy to hear this. You're walking in the truth. And as I interacted with these folks from your church, there's an emphasis here that comes first, love, love for one another. And he says, Listen, this isn't a new commandment. What's amazing is to consider how this commandment would have echoed through the churches. Where did this commandment come? John was there the night it was given. It was the night of the Last Supper in the upper room when Jesus himself gave the commandment. And John's own ears heard it. And he carried this forth. Listen in his gospel as he gives the words of Jesus. John 13, 34. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. That is our call here today. Love one another. What is the bar? What is the aim point? Well, the way that Christ has loved us, what was that? He gave his life. He was all in. He spoke words of truth. He lived in love. He laid his life down. He died to express that love, to save us from our sins. That is the nature of our love. It's a sacrificial love. It's all in. It's nothing held back. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, he goes on to say, by your love for one another. It's an evangelistic love, isn't it? it? The way we treat one another, the way we show kindness, the way we grant forgiveness, the way we love one another is a witness to the authenticity and the power of the gospel that has changed us. He's calling this church to love. Love one another. Truth, yes, yes, truth. But truth with love. Truth with love. What should define our walk in the truth? Love. Love. So remember this now. As we walk through life, we will be tempted at times to, to to just bring the hammer down. It's the hammer of truth. This is the gavel. I'm going to pound it. I'm going to drop it, and it's going to go off like a bomb, and I don't care how it lands. That will be an inclination. You get offended? Fine, you get offended. You just need to hear the truth. It's going to blow up your world and whatever, you know. No, that's not the kind of way we're to wield truth. We are to bring truth love we do that within the church but it also overflows out into the way that we interact with those who don't know christ truth and love never separated they go hand in hand sometimes people say well you know i, I visited this church it's it's a truth church they just they just drop bomb truth bombs all the time it's, it's truth true truth, truth. Or then I visited this church and they're just a love church. It's just so, oh, it's so wonderful. Everyone is just so nice and they have all these expressions of love and you never get offended and it's just easy to go here. Now, we have problems with both of these, don't we? If you have a love church that doesn't preach and teach and call forth the truth, you don't have love, do you? It's not love. That's one of the cruelest forms of hate. But if you have truth and you don't have love, oh, talk about brutality. Just, you know, hellfire and brimstone. Let it rip. Who cares what ha- No. That is not the correct handling of truth. Jesus modeled this so well in his words. Oh, listen to the way he taught There were times where he was so direct, so straightforward, words of truth. What was his goal, though? What was his target point? To love people, even in warning, even to shake them from their slumber. Love was the motivation. Love must shape Good Shepherd Bible Church. Love must shape how we speak what is true. It gives us the right posture, right? We don't walk up to someone with a truth shotgun. That's that's not the posture. You, You don't just blow someone away with truth. The goal is that we bring the truth with love, to meet them, to love them with what is true. Rather, speaking the truth in love, Paul says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together, every joint which is equipped, uh, which uh, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Truth and love go hand in hand. I like this one as well. Look at this. The goal of our instruction is love. It, just stop there. Just think. When I get up to preach. My aim point, what is my goal in the preaching of God's Word? Love. Love. Now, sometimes that truth is hard to swallow, and sometimes it hits and it lands with, a, with, with a, a blade, right? There's a time and a place for that, but that is to be done with the aim point of love. It's love that should flow from a pure heart and a good conscience sincere faith. That's the way we love one another. So if you come and you bring a a rebuke or a correction or an encouragement to a brother or sister who is in sin or who, who may be in sin, the approach must be loving. I'm coming to love them, to point out an area of sin or whatever it may be, and work to get there before you go. Make sure that's the aim point of the carrying of truth. Motive and tone, patience, kindness. Here's a word, gentleness. Gentleness. There has been great damage done by believers who say true things but with a cold heart. Right? I remember hearing a lot about this in Grand Rapids in a church that kind of became a magnet for people who were really bothered by fundamentalists. And uh, it was interesting. We were in a very conservative area and there had been, yes, I'm sure, some abuses that had taken place, some really angry preachers who had just delivered the truth without love and the harm is real, yes. I think there was a whole lot of victim card playing as well that went along with it. Find a reason to get mad at what is true so you can find a safe haven from it. I look back on that and wish I would have been more bold in love to address some of those, those, those tendencies at that church that I was at. This is love, John says. This is love, that we walk according to His commandments. Look at this. Now he just flips the script. So he's emphasizing love, and now he flips it back over to truth. So he says, Listen, love is that we obey God that we pay attention to what his commands are, that, that we live, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So he goes back and he, he reminds us again, it was Jesus, yes, who said we are to love one another, but it was also Jesus, as recorded in John chapter 14, who said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So look at this, love must be in connection with truth and obedience and submission and joyful embracing of God's commandments. Hmm. Oh, we live in a day that would love to, defi- to define love apart from truth, right? It's just, it's just a feeling. It's just whatever you want it to be, right? Love wins. Love wins is this, this mantra that is tossed about. Love is nothing if it is not true. There's nothing to it if it is not true. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is just mere sentimentality. It's just wishy-washy nothingness. How do you find the place to love? You stand on the truth. This gets challenging at times, doesn't it? It's challenging because sometimes... There's a situation, maybe with a child or a friend, and they're making decisions that you know that they're wrong. They're, they're unrighteous. And you have to make a decision about what love will look like, right? Will I look the other way? Will I love them enough to confront them? How do I do this? And, oh, the heart will tug. Oh, it's hard. It weighs I just, want to love, I just want to embrace them and hug them, but I know what they're doing is hurting them, so how do I do this? This is equipment for life. Hmm. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is sentimentality. It's fog. It's nothing. Love that ignores what is right and true is both unbiblical and unloving. Okay? So don't, don't buy into this cultural inclination that you can love someone by ignoring blatant unrighteousness in their life and calling it tolerance. That's not love. That is hate. And that's, that's passiveness. That's, that's this inclination, well, you know what? Everyone's just going to make their own decisions and live with their own consequences. They are But we, my friends, are called to shine. Shine light and truth. Truth with love, right? We live in a day where this is needed more than ever. Christians cannot be timid with love and truth. We need to speak up. There's two genders, right? Let me be clear. Two genders. It's not Unloving to make that clear to people who are being led astray into the dark, into the fog, into confusion and total destruction. It's love and truth together. Together. How about this one? This came up this week. Uh, Gavin Newsom, who I think wants to be president... Because he's running these advertisements in like what, Mississippi or somewhere. Uh, yeah, need an abortion? California is ready to help. Learn more at abortion.california.gov. And then look at the verse. Can you see that right here? Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Mark 12:31. Okay, this is what happens when you divorce truth and call it love. You see what he's saying? You can love your neighbor by killing her children. That's what truth says. That's that's what's happening here. We love you so much. You come to our state, we'll kill your children. And I'll stand on that to try to be elected. The divorcing of truth from whatever is deemed love is It is toxic. It is satanic. It is not help. It is not love. It's murder. But isn't it just like Satan to quote a Bible verse, right? To take a Bible verse, to twist up the words of Jesus who said just before this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, right? to leave out the first command and then redefine the second command and call killing love. We live in crazy times, friends. Crazy times. More than ever, we need believers who see through the fog and say, no, that's not true. It's not true. It's not love. What is love? Love moves to speak, moves to engage, moves to encourage, point the way to truth. That's love. We are called to be loving truth-tellers in an age of quote-unquote tolerance. It is a cult. It is organized. It has its uh, preachers. It has its enforcement wing. And it is active. And it is sucking in Christians who will try to live and and, and, and appease this cult of tolerance and try try to work with it, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But one response that we have to reject is just get angry and tell them the truth. That also doesn't work. We must do the necessary work within our hearts before our mouth opens so that the words of truth will come with love love they will know that we are his disciples when we open our mouths and they hear love they see love so love the sheep don't feed the wolves that's the second part of this verses 7 through 11 don't feed the wolves For many deceivers, John says, have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. That's where the sermon title comes. He says there are many deceivers, that is false teachers, and we would add heretics to this. Heretics who have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Okay, now that's That should tip us off here. Early church heresies were many. And John took on, we even see in the Gospel of John, he's addressing some of these heresies. They tend uh, often to revolve around the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? Is Jesus truly a man? Listen to this. 1 John 2, 18 and 22. Children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Similar language here. Therefore, uh, verse 22, we know that it is the last hour. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, the deceiver? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son, okay? Okay? So how do you spot a heretic? Easy answer right here. Look for how they deal with Jesus Christ. Do they deny that Jesus was truly God who came in the flesh, who came incarnate, God who became man? So you have truly God, truly man in Christ to deny either one of those is to abandon the gospel in its entirety and damn yourself to hell forever. Let's be clear. It's not a choose-your-own-adventure religion we have. We don't just say, well, I'll take a little bit of this and a little dabble of this, and I really like that parable. I'm holding that one. But this whole thing about Jesus being the exclusive Savior or the idea that he's God, eh, I think I'll leave that. Oh, I'm a Christian, though. See, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Either Jesus was, was true in all that he said and he claimed, and he accomplished all that it says in the scriptures that he accomplished, or he didn't. There's there's no middle ground. We don't take some and leave some. Often the deity of Christ is denied. I think we see that a lot in our day. In this day, especially, there was a struggle to accept that God would send his son his eternally begotten son, right, into this world to take upon himself flesh. Now, here's here's why this was so hard for people to to accept. There was a Gnostic dualism. Gnosticism was this kind of higher learning secret knowledge, just just silly. It's just silly, really. It's kind of like uh, the Masons with their secret handshake. How silly. Like, What is that? It's just goofy. It's like a club that you got to get in and all the secrecy stuff. If you're a Freemason, we need to talk, okay? We need to talk. There's there's major problems there. In this day, Gnostic dualism, which was uh, uh, really even taught by Plato himself, was that the spirit and everything ethereal up here is good, but the material world, the flesh, it's all corrupt. It's all evil. So you see the struggle? with the idea that God would take upon himself human flesh? Well, there's no way that he would do that. That would corrupt him. So, here comes the false teacher into town where this local church is. The elect lady and her children, they're gathering, they're worshiping this little church, and he comes into town and he says, Hey, I'm a Christian too. I'd like to, I'd like to share some things that are on my heart today. And he says, you know, starts in on this whole thing about how Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, but he's still just a wonderful, inspiring God. Well, that's a problem. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for. That is, the expansion of these churches, the, the carrying of the gospel, But that you may win a full reward, faithful to the gospel. Don't give up any of the teaching of the Word of God in Christ. Everyone who goes on ahead does not abide in the teaching of Christ and does not have God. Think of this. That's a a blaring statement. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. God. That is, they are not saved. They don't reflect the the truth of God. They are lost and condemned. Whoever abides, however, in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. It's a package deal. The Father and the Son. So, everyone who goes on ahead. I can't believe how amazing that language is. I was just struck by that. It shows that progressive Christianity is not new. (laughs) Just think of this this idea of progressing in our faith, progressiveness. Oh, it's so wonderful sounding. Who wants to be this person that's stuck back here when everyone else is progressing, right? Oh, the fundamentalist. Who wants to be that? When the option over here is, oh, we're just progressing. We're going on ahead. Do you see how enticing a little label like that can be? How, how it can just portray this instinctual response? Well, I don't want to be that. Hmm. I've had some interaction with this up close. And I just want to give you a list of things that I've observed and continue to observe. In fact... We were reading a book that someone uh, let us borrow recently. A family member of theirs was reading this, and they said it doesn't ring right. I- I'm-, I'm pretty sure this is bad stuff. Can you check it out? We didn't have to read too far to know it's garbage. It is garbage. Here are some, some indicators, I would say, of innovative Christianity. Okay, when when you see this, this we're progressing. We're we're moving on ahead. We want to see this. In, in, in a better way than it was carried before. One indicator is easy to spot, a low view of Scripture. A low view of Scripture. Oh, it's, well, the Bible, you know. It's, just, it's hard to really make sense of those difficult passages. And rather than doing the work, let's just, let's just kind of let those just fade. And, and you know, we, we really want to esteem science, What's amazing is the bait and switch that happens here. Well, what's behind this oftentimes is we want to be culturally, you know, like up to date. We don't want to be viewed as those those morons in the dark ages who actually believe that God created the world. We want to be received by the scientific community. We We want to square these things up. And so... We're willing to let go of what God has said in order to trust the science. Now, I pray that the last few years have given you a bit of a catch in that inclination. Trust the science. I think there's a value to a little bit of pause before we just say, well, it's a guy in a white jacket. He said it was good. A high view of science. Science is constantly changing. It's filled with error. Guess what's not? God's Word. It does not change. It is the same today. It is trustworthy and true, preserved and handed. It's sufficient for life and godliness. Emphasizing uncertainty. This is one that I witnessed up close. I just have lots of questions. I just have have so many questions. And answers? Well, no, I don't really have answers. Oh, how humble it can sound. It can sound so humble. Just come ask questions with me. We'll be like the people that are always putting the food in our mouth, but never actually closing on it. We'll just ask questions together. And this whole deconstruction instinct, that is what this is. It is a denial of faith. That's what's at its core. If you can get people to live in uncertainty... You are destroying their faith. And you can do it with just humble, honest questions when you don't look to the Word of God for answers. Identifying with the disgruntled, I mentioned this earlier, the first church I worked at um, drew in all kinds of people who had this inclination against what they witnessed growing up. Now, sure, was there legalism in Grand Rapids? Yes, there was. Without a doubt. Is there legalism in our county today? Absolutely yes. And we reject that. But to throw out orthodoxy because of some bad experiences in church, that's a, that's a false teacher manipulation. Don't do it. Don't do it. False teachers play off of the inclination away from Christ, away from truth. They tend to be very skeptical and condemning of past, especially past generations. Right? Remember when Rob Bell wrote the book Velvet Elvis and his view of the Gospel. I wanted to throw up the way he just with with arrogance wrote off the Gospel that I believed. It is not humble to write off generations who have run the race before it is not humble let's be clear that is one of the heights of arrogance and we must guard against that be humble believers learn from those who've run the race before read some dead people read what they wrote we need that in our day more dead people's writing there's a whole bunch of dead guys who wrote and their books are on that shelf it's good for us playing to felt needs and selfish ambitions. Oh, the prosperity gospel lives here, doesn't it? What happens? Well, it's inevitable. This is inevitable. Either the gospel is ignored, or more likely the gospel is adjusted to make it more palatable. Oh, hell? Well, there's no hell. I mean, really. What kind of God will send anybody to hell? You're all good. Oh, how... How wonderful that sounds to the ears. How easy it is. Oh, the Great Commission? No worries. You don't have to do anything. Oh, to adjust the gospel. It's just like tickling ears. Or an outright rejection of the gospel. What you see in progressive denominations, progressive churches, is eventually they become so liberal, so progressed, as it were, that they have nothing to gather about. There's no reason to get together. And by the grace of God, their doors eventually close. I pray for that often when I drive by some of the churches in our town. Lord, close them down, please. In your time, in your way, you're the judge, you're in charge. But I pray that that church will be absolutely closed soon for the rejection of the gospel, for the promotion of blatant sin and calling it love. The poison of innovative Christianity. This is truth. We need to be on guard, be aware of this. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now there's a list, huh? Only Paul can write a list like that. Listen to how he captures it all, though. He snowballs it up, and he says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Progressive Christianity. That's what is going on in our day. And friends, it is finding a home in all kinds of churches. Avoid such people is the call. Those who propagate this. Those who preach and teach this. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Here it is. Always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Brian McLaren did this a lot, just with questions. Oh, come with me on a journey, a faith journey. I will deconstruct your Christianity, and I will give you lots to try to reach for, but never to close on. Always learning, but never landing. The Christian faith is a belief in the firm and fixed truths of God, it's not just a bunch of question asking. We have faith in a real Savior, in a real authoritative Word of God, and we stand on that in humility. Our confidence in God's Word is not arrogance. It is faith, and it is the gift of God who's opened our eyes to it. To pull back from that is unloving and unwise. So, Good Shepherd Bible Church, pay attention, stay alert, be discerning. We live in messed up times, but it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. This is of old. This is the same enemy working in similar ways as he did in John's day, so too in ours. The difference here is the Internet, (laughs) YouTube, right? Mass market. You You can go global with a message of lies, an antichrist work. If anyone comes to you, John says, to this little church, and he doesn't bring this teaching, that is the teaching of Christ, of the apostles, the word of God, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Whew. Now remember this. John is known as the apostle of love. Okay? This is love. He is giving a warning, a calling to believers. He's emphasized already that we are to be a loving people, defined by our love. And now he's saying, there is a limit here, though. Don't just blindly love. Don't just blindly endorse everybody who comes to town. Hospitality and heretics. In this day, teachers would often make a living going from town to town. Just like when Jesus sent his disciples out without a money bag or without a lot of clothes, they would would show up in town, they would find a house, and they would depend upon the hospitality of the host while they taught in the town. And oftentimes, before they would leave, a collection would be given for them to take to be able to have some food money as they traveled, and that's how money would be made in this day. Here comes false teacher. He walks into the town. What is to be the response once it's determined this man is denying that Jesus came in the flesh? Don't even open the door. Don't show any form of support for this man. He's a wolf. Don't feed the wolves. Love the sheep. Don't feed the wolves. Don't give them room. Don't give them a platform. Don't give them money. The blatant command here, do not support false teachers. In our day, it's different, right? We don't. We don't this, this place here behind this pulpit is very hard to get to. Not just anybody shows up here. We have to know this person. Who is, who, who is this man? What does he stand for? What does he believe? What will he preach, right? We're very, very careful about who stands in this place. But what about the books you read? The, the movies you choose to watch. I think back on when they made The Shack into a movie. Or 90 Minutes in Heaven and 23 Minutes in Hell. Or um, the mishandling, the gross mishandling of the story of Ruth. Wasn't that the recent one? The story of Ruth that was in the theaters? Don't support those movies. Don't go to them. Don't give them your money. Music. All the industries that are compromised with false teaching. If a musician is proclaiming the false gospel, we should not be listening to their music. Don't click on it. Don't buy the CD. Don't sing it in church. Curriculum. Conferences. What do you do when a lady who has been a faithful teacher all of a sudden starts going off the rails? and starts doing things and practicing things that are unbiblical, like Beth Moore. Okay, what do you do? Well, what we did, we took her curriculum out of the library. We do not support that ministry any any longer. We're praying that the Lord will turn her and and cause her to repent. Now, she's in a different category. Is she a heretic? I don't believe so. She's not preaching a false gospel, but she is actively breaking the commands of, of God that are very clear on her ministry. It's a disregard, and that's scary because where does that lead? At what point does she draw the line and say, well, I can break this one, this one, and this but but I won't? How do you know? We had a group of ladies that uh, the church organized a trip down to the Women of Faith Conference years ago. We found out that there was a motivational speaker who was going to be there who was a prosperity guy. He was the keynote speaker at the Women of Faith Seattle Conference. When the elders found out about that, we canceled the church event. Entirely. We pulled the rug. And and that's hard. It was a hard adjustment for the ladies who were excited to go because it's fun. But what what do we know? We know that our support of a ministry of false teaching is our involvement in it. We become partakers in that, and we are not to do that. Don't go to the conference. YouTube clicks, TV programs... The list goes on. What about when the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door? Okay? Here's my practice. We're on the porch. We're on the porch. In Ferndale, I think that was the last time they actually came to my door, um, we talked for a long time about the king. They wanted to talk about the kingdom. I want to talk about the king. His name is Jesus. They weren't interested in that. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I, I never bring them into my home. And here, here's just one simple reason why, because I have neighbors. And they can go to my neighbors if they have been in my home, and they can say to my neighbors, because what would prevent this, right? They're false teachers. They can say, well, we had a wonderful conversation with your neighbor, Jeremy. He let us in, to ch- in a chat. You, you know Jeremy. And, th- and then all of a sudden, they're leveraging my credibility to advance their falsehood. Not going to work. Not in my home. So on the porch it stays and uh, we focus on Christ and after that they tend to note my address and they don't often come back. Um, The same would be true of Mormon missionaries or whoever it is. Point to Jesus, I would not bring them into your home. Um, This is important for us. There is a way to love without compromising the commands of Christ and being wise to stand for what is true and right, but do not partake in the ministry of Satan. And darkness. Final greetings here, verses 12 and 13. Just quickly, John wraps up his, his letter of truth and love. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. What a good shepherd he is. A, a good uh, leader of a flock. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And then he brings greetings from his home church. The children of your elect sister greet you, and that's it. So, Our response this morning, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Do you see the connection? In 1 Corinthians 13, it's clear. This is to be our posture. This is to be our joy. is the inseparable connection of truth and love in our lives. That is the way we are to engage one another when we're together with the church, when we're interacting one-on-one throughout the week. It is the way we are to engage the world. Truth and love, always connected. Truth and love. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that my words this morning were loving. I pray that you would land those words in your truth I pray that the truth of these words that we have covered would would meet us with your love. What a kind God you are to give us these warnings, to equip us to be discerning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, even now for the way that you land these words, even these warnings in our hearts that we would be discerning and careful and that we would not be led astray by by emissaries of Satan who would seek to, to undercut the gospel that is the hope of the nations. Find us faithful, O Lord, humbly bringing the love and truth of your message, your saving word, to the ends of the earth. Find us faithful, Father, in the generations to come. Lord, even raise up here the younger generations with the same commitment. Give them discernment in a day where, oh, the pressure is so intense, Oh, how easy it is to write off the generations before. Make us humble to learn from those generations, faithful to stand true to your word, and bold, Lord, to proclaim your truth with hearts of love. Until you return, Lord, or call us home, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.